Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So these past few weeks, guys, we've been talking about joyful generosity. The first week, we, we talked about just giving joyfully, being a generous giver. The second week, we talked about the tithe. So today, we're going to look at managing finances, what that looks like. This is going to kind of be a practical, applicable type message, but it's important. It's relevant. Maybe something I say this morning will help you out. But I'm believing that uh, as we just submit our finances and all of our increase, all of our resources to the Lord, that he might provide increase and show us what to do, how to be successful in this life, right? Everybody wants that. Agreed? Nobody grows up and say, I don't want to be successful. You know, even deep down when you were young and rebellious and you're like, I don't care about having a good job. I don't care about school. If you think back, if you made those statements, now you're like, I wish... I would have cared about school. I wish I would have cared about my job. I guess, you know, we go back to the reality of why those things are so important. But I believe that God, as we submit our lives, we submit our careers, we submit our finances to the Lord, that he has a way of showing us how to manage those well. Okay? So I'm going to start with this little joke. It is a joke. So just to get you right off the gate so you don't write this down as factual information. So here's a good principle. Save a little money each month. And at the end of the year, you'll be surprised at how little you have. Everybody's doing all right this morning. I figured if I threw it right out of the gate, you'd be like, writing this down, and then halfway you'd get the joke and you'd figure out, don't write that down. But sometimes we strive to save and we get to the end of the year and it seems so insignificant, right? We save, we save, we save, we put a little bit aside and it seems like it's never enough, right? But I think the, the, the goal of savings, the goal, goal of trying to save will benefit you greatly, okay? So I'm going to start with this passage from Proverbs 11, 25 through, uh, 24 through 25. This is in the New King James Version. I shared this in week one. It says, there is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself, so when we look at that passage, you know, this, and, and I had mentioned that this completely goes against everything that the world wants to teach you. How do we create wealth? Well, we, we hoard all of it. We keep it. We don't be, you don't be generous. You don't give your money to everybody who asks. You withhold everything. But in this passage, I think there's a key component that it says, and there is one who withholds more than is right. So when we talk about that more than is right, I believe that this is talking about a tithe principle. This is talking about something that is implying something more than just withholding, right? Because you make your money, you earn your money. You can technically do whatever you want with your money. I tell my kids that every day. It's my money. I can do what I want with it, right? I worked for it. I earned it. It's my paycheck, you know? Anytime that they're like, hey, well, dad, this is only this much. It's like, no, that's how much it is for me doesn't cost them anything, you know, so we somewhat have a, the opportunity and the chance to dictate where our finances go. Would you agree? We teach our kids that every day and we live by that. I do, I do what I want with my money, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. Sometimes we do it well, sometimes we do it wrong. But when we look at that passage, it says that some withhold, not just withhold, but what does it say? More than is right. Okay? So when we look at the definition of manage, this means to be in charge of. 
Okay, it means to be in charge of, to administer, or to run. So we need to be in charge of our money, not our money in charge of us. You guys understand that? You know, we can't say, you know, man, allowing money, the love of money, chasing after money. We need to dictate to our money and put it to work and tell it where to go and what to do. Okay, and that's something that has to be very, very intentional. When we talk about managing finances, that is not a passive thing. You just don't put it in the bank and then you just spend whatever and you never look at your bank account all month. You will overdraft more than likely. You know, we have to be very intentional about paying attention. A manager pays attention to the details. How many of you guys have ever had a manager show up at your job and what is their goal? To find something wrong. It don't matter how good the process is. They're in there, they're showing up to find how you can do something better or somewhere where we're missing the mark. So if we apply those same principles to managing our own finances, we are looking you know, strategically at our finances in a way of saying, how can I spend them better? How can I stretch them further? How can I give obedience to God's command to give? How many of you guys believe that it is biblical to give as a Christian? Now, some people say, well, I give my time, I give my energy, but you don't want to give your money. But I believe that the money is really directly tied to your heart. We talked about finances being the financial provision, that it's the source of life. It's what I provide food for. It's what I provide my shelter with. Like, it is the key component. If I don't have any money, I'm going to (laughs) die. I can't pay for anything. I can't survive. It is the source of life. And it's sometimes more important than just our time. Even though we each only have, what, 24 hours in a day and so much time, you know, per week. Right? We're all limited to the same amount of time. But our money is something that I believe that God gives us, but He also asks us to govern it. He asks us to manage it. Okay? You know, so one of the questions I have always asked myself is why for some people is it so hard to give to God and then have enough left over to bless others? It's a valid question because I see some that struggle. They don't have enough to make it. And, and man, I, I can't bless anybody else. I'm just trying to survive. Have you heard of those or have you ever been there? Either one, one side or the other, right? I can't bless others when I'm, you know, it's like I'm trying to pull somebody into the boat to rescue them, but I'm not even in the boat. I'm in the water and I am drowning financially. I'm not making it. You know, if I'm in there, I can't rescue somebody financially if I'm dying financially, guys. I have to be in the boat stabilized and established if I'm going to throw a life preserver to anybody. Otherwise, we're both going down together. Okay, so we got to see that. You know, so, so that's the question I always ask. I said, you know, how, how is it that some struggle with that? You know, and I actually prayed about it. This wasn't something I just asked. I was just kind of like, you know, I wonder why. But I asked God, I said, God, why is it? You know, and this is what he, I believe that he told me. He says, many people focus only uh, on giving the tithe and hope that their finances will miraculously change. But the problem is not with giving the 10%. It's, the problem is managing the 90%. So that's what we're going to focus on today. It's not, we talked about last week about the tithe. If you didn't hear it, you can, get the, you can listen to the podcast. You can hear me hammer the tithe, talk about the biblical tithe, how it is a key component to allowing all of your finances to be blessed. But today I want to focus a little bit more on how do I deal with the 90%? Because I just don't want to say, hey, guys, give the tithe. It's going to be great. And I don't give you any information on how to manage the 90%. And we're foolish with the 90%. I'm just being real, guys. I mean, this is something that I've been learning over a lifetime. This isn't something I just figured out. It's taken a long time 
to get to the place of understanding and managing money well. And you have to be managing in a, hand, a few decades before you can say, do I manage money well or do I manage it foolishly? Now, some of us, we can learn that rule in five years, especially if we're managing it not well. Like, man, I don't know where all my money's going. I'm in debt. I can't pay for it. You know, you, you feel the stress of all that, right? So we're going to focus on the 90s. So one thing that I hope today that if you take away is that you are a steward of everything that God gives you. And if you'll submit your natural resources to him and ask him to help you manage your money, he will direct and guide you in everything you do. How many of us ask God for all kinds of things? Lord, should I take this job? Should I not take this job? What should I do with raising my kids? What should I do with my health issues? We ask God about everything, right? Anybody ever tried asking God about finances? Because he has answers for that too, guys. This isn't something that God says, you know, I'm gonna give you keys to everything, but I'm not gonna unlock the keys to understanding how to be, uh, how to be good managers of your finances and how to be prosperous in this life. You Think that's the God we serve? Absolutely not. He wants to show us these things through scripture and through principles. Luke 6, 38, this is the principle. It says, give and it'll be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. So in this passage, there's two main action words that are applied here, okay? So money is, is something that you, you have to put into action. The two words that it uses is give and use. You can't just hold your money and not give it and not use it and expect something to change. It doesn't say hoard it. It doesn't say just keep it. It, it. it says give it, which requires you letting go of it. And it says using it, which means that's applying it intentionally to something Right? Would you guys agree with that? I mean, that's what it's saying. It, it, these are act, action words. Luke 16.10, it says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So we have to understand, guys, that God always has biblical principles at stake, that God wants us, if we cannot be stewards of a little bit, we cannot be stewards and managers of a lot. If we're foolish with a little, guess what? We're going to be foolish with a lot. I teach this to my kids all the time, man. You know, if I give them a dollar and they just, my kids cannot keep money in their pocket. If they have $5, all of a sudden, anything that's $5, they cannot live life without it. They don't want to keep that $5. They want to, they want to have the toy and get rid of the $5. I think it's, that's, the, that's the game. It's not like, what do I really want? And I'm really thinking about it before I spend my money, right? It's just, I don't want to keep this $5 and I want whatever it is. That's a bad principle to just, you know, where you've heard the saying where money is burning a hole in your pocket, you got to get rid of it. You don't hang on to any of it. Just because we have it doesn't mean we always got to spend it, guys. No. Well, I just got a raise. Save some now. Don't keep spending. You know, we talk about lifestyle and those that, you know, make smaller figures and those that make larger figures, they all have the same issues if they overspend. You say, oh man, you're making over six figures. You got it going on. Yeah, but he has a boat. He has a house that's too big. He's paying twice the taxes on the house. He has all the insurance. He has all of these things. And maybe the guy that's making 60000 or less is living a better quality of life because of how he manages money than the one that's making over six figures that's using it recklessly. 
But if you can manage when you make a little, and you manage it the same way when you make a lot, you can't help but be blessed and for prosperity to fall into your lap. Because there's principles that remain true. We have to understand that, every, that money is actually a test, guys. That's what it is. It is a test of our motives. It is a test of our habits. It is a test from God to say, what are you going to do with what I give you? Some of us feel like we're entitled to that money because we worked for our degree. We went through the time. We went through the training process. We went through the new hire process. We have to understand that if it's, it's only by the grace of God that has enabled us to get the education, to have the common sense to understand and pass the tests, that has released us to get these jobs that we've gotten, guys. I've seen health issues completely derail people in their lives. My dad's life, you know, not that I'm talking about it, but I saw a man that could do anything with his hands. He could, he was super smart. And then he had a health issue and he couldn't work anymore and he couldn't do anything for himself. So you see that life, guys, it's so fragile. We think, well, oh, I can do it. I can build it. I can make it. And and we have this, we have this way of living that is really, really fragile. And we say, well, God, I earned it, but it's only by the grace of God that he allows us to continue to breathe and continue to work. Because God can remove those things that are put in place of who he is if we don't understand that every good and perfect gift comes from God, down from the Father to his children. Man, you even talking about my job I just got? Absolutely. What about that raise? I'm talking about that too. This house I lived in, God worked that out? Probably. He makes sure that we're taken care of, guys. But if God didn't give us the ability to work and to work hard, and to be good stewards of what we have, we could be the next homeless guy. You hear, you hear of these homeless people. Most of them, it's just not that they chose to be homeless. Something catastrophic happened, and they couldn't pay their bills, and then they couldn't catch up. Then they had to file bankruptcy, and they just never got back on their feet. It's not that they weren't intelligent, that they weren't smart, and you know why does it happen to them and didn't happen to us? I don't know, but we have to understand that, that in life, things are not guaranteed. You know, I've been looking at like, I mean, I know I'm young, young, but I'm, I've been looking at retirement like, man, how much should we have by now? How much do we need to say? You know, I think about the future, but I don't know how many more years God is going to enable me to work. You know, so what has to happen? My trust cannot be in what no econo builds or saves, but in who God is. You guys understand that? You know, when I took this job, it wasn't based on the finances that I was going to make. You'll never hear a preacher say, oh, I took that job for the for the salary package. <laughs> not that I'm not blessed and not that this church has not been really good to my family. They have taken care of us. We, have not had, we don't have any needs, guys. But it was because we followed God and we chose to pursue what God wanted us to do. Sometimes the things that God asks us to do don't always make sense in the natural. But there will be a blessing reward if we are obedient. And that's what I want to point out to you guys. There's always a test. There's always something that's being uh, a process that God is wanting to work us through. There's a principle in Matthew 6, 2 through 4, where it talks about when we give to the needy, how to do that. You guys have heard this passage. It says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But when you give to those in need, do it silently and secretly. And those things that you do in secret that, that nobody sees, the Father will reward those. And it says, do not be like the hypocrite 
who's like, you know, it's like, hey, look, hey, buddy, I know you, you guys see I'm giving, you know, like this principle of just being boastful and arrogant that we want people to see that we're givers. We almost secretly want to be givers. And we want to find opportunities to bless people, but not because of what people can see, but because that's the heart that I have as a generous giver that I have joyful generosity and I look for opportunities to give. Since we've been talking about these, this joyful generosity series, has anybody had an opportunity to give that you, you might have stumbled on and you had an opportunity to give? Anybody? Have you been looking for them? I got a few hands. Look for opportunities to give and to bless others. Okay? Look for those opportunities. I believe that blesses God, you know, and I, that, but we gotta be intentional. Don't just be caught in your agenda. But when you see a need and you can meet that need, man, don't withhold what you have to give. Bless that person. I'm not talking just amongst church people. I'm talking about those people you don't know. Bible also talks about, you know, what good is it if you, if you, if you give to someone who can pay it back? But it's better give to somebody who can't pay back anything because then that tests your motive. If you're giving it to get it back, you're giving wrong anyway. My wife and I, we've always tried to, you know, which sometimes it's hard because sometimes it's sometimes it's more significant. But we say, if everything that anybody asks us to give, could we ever give it and not ask to get it back or not have an expectation to give it back? Now, I'm not saying that you don't loan money with an expectation to give it back, but could we willfully give if we didn't get anything back? Would we be okay with that? If we see it as my money, oh, yeah, I'd be mad about it. Well, I didn't get that money back. But if I see every good and perfect gift in my life is God's money anyway, I just release it as a blessing. We find opportunities to serve. We find opportunities to love on people and to give out of what God has given us. So money and possessions, they are the second most referenced topic in the Bible. Money is mentioned more than 800 times, and the message is clear all through the word. Nowhere in Scripture is debt viewed in a positive way. Do you guys understand that? Living in debt your whole life is not God's orchestrated plan. Well, my insurance company and my, my person that sold me my house and my truck, they said it's a great, great interest rate. Come on, guys. It's world system. <laughs> Okay, so I'm not saying that we don't use the resources and we don't take loans, but man, the ultimate goal is to pay those off as quick as we as we can. So we're not indebted to those things for a long period of time. I was reading some articles this week and man, there was so there was they, they said, how long do you think it will take you to get out of debt? And some said one year, some said two years. There was like 15 percent. that said, oh, we'll just never get out. I scratched. I said, so you're just going to be in debt. Till you hit the grave and then your kids have to pay for it or what? You know, I'm thinking about that. It's like just, it's just a lifestyle of living in debt and they're okay with that. That's been one thing that Becky and I have always tried to model. We try to stay debt free in everything. We count the cost. If, if I am going to take out a loan or I am going to, I count the cost. I say, well, how many years? Okay. This many years. How old will Samuel be? How close will we be to college? I don't think nearsighted on the here and now. I just, and then, I'm very rarely an impulse buyer. I just don't do it. I'm not going to, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to think about it. And then, hey guys, guess what? I am going to pray about it before I do it to make sure it's the right move for me and my family. And that's what God's best is for me. Um, I ever told you guys a story about when I bought my house. 
I'm going to tell you, if, if you've already heard it, just give me some grace. So when we were pur- purchasing our first house, man, it's, it's the most scary but yet exciting thing you will ever do. Getting out of renting, I can buy a home. I'm so excited about it. I'm young. And, you know, we found a house that needed some work. And that's what we wanted. We wanted a fixer-upper. And we wanted to put, be able to get it cheaper so we could pay it off and stuff like that. Well, this first house that I was, that I was bidding on was uh, probably three or four times more than the house I'm in now. So when it all started, they had an asking price, and you guys know the game. They have an asking price. You don't ever, you don't ever offer the asking price. You go under that, and you go back and forth, and you know, we I put a bid, and they declined it. So then I went up, and they declined it, and then they went up again, and they declined it, and I'm just like, man, what do I do? Do I just keep going up? Like at what point? And then at that same time as I was doing that, and I was mad at God. I was like, God, how come they're not taking my offer? I'm not going to pay that, but what I'm offering them, I will pay, and in amongst those, you know, making those bids of what I would pay, the house that we have now showed up and it was super cheap. It needed a ton of work. And my mother-in-law's like, hey, it's this much. And I was like, let's go look at it. That is right in my price range. So we went, we looked at it, we talked to the realtor and she's like, well, here's the asking price. And, and for the first time ever, She says, well, what would you like to bid? I said, I will ask the asking price. I want this house because, man, I'm talking, I was bidding here, guys. This house is right here. Even with all the upgrades, I'm still here. It was the house that God had for us, but in my ignorance, I was trying to pursue something that was not what God wanted was best for me. But I was looking nearsighted because that's what Noe wanted, and what Noe wanted, Noe was going to get. So we see the, the, the favor of God on that, and I didn't know how this works. I don't know if this is illegal. If this is illegal, please don't leave this room. But she, she, she was taking the bids, so she knew what the bids that had come in. So I said, I'll pay total price. And she goes, well, is this y'all's first house? I said, yeah. I said, you know, we're wanting to get a fixer. She goes, well, I would bid this price. I said, like, sounds good to me. It was below what I bid. She says, all right. Well, we got the house, guys. So what I'm saying, when we allow God to redirect our plans, we see a blessing in disguise sometimes, right? We see it as, oh, man, this house is way better. Yeah, I didn't know about taxes at the time. I didn't know about insurance at the time. I didn't know how long I was going to be indebted to that house at the time. So we were able to pay that house, fix it off. And as of right now, I think, when did we move in that house? When Cassidy was born we were already there so she's six so we've been in there seven years i own the house i've paid for the house i don't know a dime on it now i'm not doing that to be arrogant guys i'm showing you that if you allow god into the principles of showing you what to do and what not to do you don't have to be in debt your whole life but is there a lot of times noah needs to sit back and say man that house sure is nice but then i have to be mindful of the blessing of what i live in Because I tell you what, the enemy always wants to kind of stir that discontentment. And some of you may be challenged with that discontentment, right? My house isn't good enough. My car's not good enough. My boat's not big enough. Whatever it may be, discontentment, the enemy will destroy you with discontentment and and cause you to pursue things that are not of God. And culture is right there alongside it. You guys ever been on your phone, Facebook or whatever? All these ads come up for stuff. The crazy thing is when you're talking about something and it shows up. I was talking about it in search, and all of a sudden, Facebook knows, hey, I don't know if they're secretly listening, guys. Oh, we got all that. Got the CIA in our front living room. 
But let me tell you, the enemy of this world wants to indebt us for the rest of our lives where we can never be a blessing to those all around us, guys. I would rather have less and be blessed and be debt-free than up to my throat indebted and never be able to give a dime. I talk to guys that are making over six figures and their life does not look better than mine, guys. I don't know what it feels like to make over six figures, but I feel like I'm living in the equivalent lifestyle of a six-figure income. Let's just say that. I feel we can do what we want, guys. We're, it just, man, we went to Disney. We paid cash for that. Disney's not cheap. You know, I've just seen the grace of God providing. And guys, I've never made tons and tons of money. So it's not an income thing. We don't need to look at it and say, well, if I make more money, if I, no, manage what you have well and God provides the increase. He removes the devourer from the equation like we talked about last week and it provides this supernatural blessing in our life where we can't outgive God and everything we have need of is provided for. Every single time. You mean every time? Every single time. We'll never see the righteous forsaken or the children begging for bread, guys. Ever. That's a promise. But are you in control or is God in control? Are you allowing God to be involved in how you manage your finances? Man, I got to stay on these notes. I'm getting way off. So finances affect us in so many ways that, guys, we really would be ignorant not to manage our money well. So how we manage our finances is revealed by how we spend it, okay? So one of the formulas that I always try to use is, is when I manage money, my goal is to always give, save, and then spend, I give 10%, I at least save 10%, and then I, try, then I ask God what to do with the rest. You mean you ask God what to do with the rest of your 90 or the 80%? Absolutely. Because I know where that's, the, that's where the bad spending habits are. That's where the indebtedness comes from. That's where if I'm reckless with those, that's where it's going to be a make or break it deal. Not in my 10% that I give to the church or not the 10% that I strive to give just generally, Right? It's, it's that extra that, that, that I have to manage. I want God involved in that process also. So when we follow this process, it helps us to prioritize our finances in a way that honors God and provides a, a financially blessed future. We give, we save, and we spend. I know most of us give, we spend, and then at the end of the month, we hope we have something to save. And we never have anything to save. Yeah, been there? Repeat that cycle month by month. It's like, I just didn't save anything this month. I don't know what happened. Well, you spent it all, okay? But as we give, and, you know, that tie that releases the potential to redeem the rest of our finances. So like I said, look at that podcast. I'm not going to re rehash that. So let's look at saving. So in order for the 10% to be a blessing to give, for it to be easy to give the 10%, because I feel like that answers the question of why is it so difficult for people to give? We have to get the 90% under control. What do they say? The, the first thing to really establish change is, is what? Acknowledge that you have a problem. <laughs> well, I don't want to. I, I like to buy stuff. Yeah, you like to be broke too. Like, I mean, just, just like, I don't know why I don't have any money. I can tell you if you look at your checkbook. Okay, we don't understand why we're broke, why we don't, you know. Uh, I'm always amazed when I go to the grocery store because groceries are super expensive nowadays, man. You know, it's, you're at least spending 100 minimum. You know, but if you buy all your groceries, everything you need is very, very expensive. Then if you go to the restaurant once, 
you're halfway what you spend at the grocery store. So there's times that we'll eat sandwiches at the house, and you know, rather than being mad about that, eating a sandwich instead of eating K2, I'm like, huh, I just saved $50 <laughs> eating this sandwich. <laughs> you, you think, like, think about it, though. Like, I mean, but I can, ha- I can go to the, the steakhouse every week and be broke, or every now and then. I'm not saying live like, you know, just slim pickings, but I said be intentional. Going out to eat, man, will make you broke. It's one of the biggest things I had to change in my life when I took a pay cut. Don't go out to eat all the time. That was one thing God showed me, and I looked. I was like, oh, you're right. I can save a lot of money. I can save by not going out to eat. Okay? So God just desires us to surrender, really, the 100% of our finances to him so that the 10% will be blessed when we give. So that doesn't mean that you give 100% to the church. That means yielding to the Lord everything you make, guys, saying, Lord, what the heck do I do with all of this? Maybe you've never learned to manage money well. You know, uh, I I remember that uh, somebody was asking me questions of, man, what do you think this next generation needs to know? What do you think these young people need to know? I said, you need to teach them how to be financially smart rather than culturally ignorant. Like, you know, I was trying to explain to my daughter about taking out a loan or something like that, and it's... She didn't understand what I was talking about. But, but it came down to, baby, if you ever need to borrow money before you sign anything, talk to your daddy. That's what it came down to because the, the, you got to understand that these systems are not for you. The interest rates are insane on some of these loans. Right? Some of you say, man, you know, I want this new vehicle. And you don't know, truck payments are nuts. I walk through dealerships and then I leave dealerships because I get frustrated about the truck. I'm like... Do I really want to pay that much? So if you are interested in buying a vehicle, vehicle, I'm not saying that don't buy a great vehicle. Save the, down, save the payments for six months. If you can save the payments for six months without buying the vehicle, then consider buying the vehicle. Don't buy the vehicle first and be like, man, I don't know if I can afford these payments. Save that p- truck payment for six months. Let me do a little even better illustration for you, Okay. If you can do it for six months, do it for one year. Now, you're going to have to sacrifice for that year because you won't have the money for that truck payment, but save it for one year. If you can manage it for one year, then take all that money that you saved throughout that year, take it, put it a down payment on that truck. Now your payments are less than what you paid, and you can afford it anyway, and it reduces that. So now you even made a step in a smarter financial way, guys. Don't play the game, oh, I'm just going to buy this truck, and I hope I can pay for it. Don't do that. You need to know if you can pay for it or not before you buy it, okay? So we have to understand, guys, the only way to stay clear of debt is to save. So let me break that down just a little bit, you know, so, you know, saving, saving it really provides a safety net when something unplanned happens, that, you know, the, the concept of planning for a rainy day, um, it, it's going to happen, guys. It's not going to, you're not going to live life and never have anything happen, that's just a realistic expectation, guys. You know, your fridge is going to quit working. Something's going to break. Um, you just need to plan for a rainy day. So what happens if we don't save? And let's say we don't save and we have credit cards. Credit cards is a whole nother topic. Some people are pro credit cards. Some think they're the devil. But let's, let's, just, let's just say I'm 100% debt free right now, hypothetically. Hopefully, some of you, realistically, okay? 
So if you have zero savings and something breaks and you have to replace it, what do you got to do? If you don't have the money, you got to put it on the credit card. Well, if you didn't have the money to pay for what you repaired, now it's on the credit card. And credit card interest is a little bit higher than mortgage or vehicle or anything else interest. It can be in the 20s, right? But we never saved. We didn't put a safety net. We didn't save. So, so that happens. And now we're paying just the minimum. Another finance principle. Never pay the minimum. You're still accruing interest. Okay, read the fine print. You're still accruing interest. You're just paying the minimum. And that credit card debt will snowball on you to the point of where it will be such a large amount, you'll never catch up. If you pay the minimum on a credit card, you'll never pay it off. Most of the time, the interest rate is set up to destroy you. I'm not a credit card advocate, guys, at all. I don't like them. But I have them because I put them on a credit card, and then I pay the credit card off. They're a great tool, but don't let it be a crutch in lieu of saving. So let's say I have a savings account set up instead of no savings and I have a credit card. If I have an emergency savings set up, I set up that emergency savings, something catastrophic happens, what do I do? I take out of that emergency savings, I pay for it, and I keep moving on. It doesn't allow me to accrue debt. The moment I have to put something on a credit card, the moment I have to take out a loan, I am accruing debt. That if I would have been financially smart and just put maybe a little bit aside every month or every week, I might have had something that I could have at least contributed to, to, to allow me not to accrue substantial debt, okay? So the thing is, we have to begin to set some aside, you know, so how do you start saving? What do you do to, to eliminate this debt? Let me, let me share this uh, fact with you real quick. It says, the average American now has about 38,000 in personal debt, excluding home mortgages. So that means not your house payment. This is just debt. So that's up about $1,000 from a year ago. And it says, also, fewer people stated that they had zero debt. So it went from 23% saying they have zero debt versus uh, 27% in the past. Like, so there was more people that said we live debt-free than there are now. Okay? So this, this is not just we're dealing with this. This is everybody dealing with it. Debt is a real thing. It's a real issue. But we have to understand that the Bible is not an advocate of debt. Okay, you know, so so how do I start saving? You, you got to begin every single week by setting a little bit aside. First Corinthians 16 two in the New Living Translation. This is what it says. Now, this was talking about money that was taken up for those who were in need, who were suffering for poverty and famine. But we have to understand this principle is what they implemented to allow saving of a lot of money. It says on the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of your money you have earned. How often? Every week. But every single week, not just once, okay? It says, don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. You know, because if I ask you, you know, like immediately for a bunch of money, more than likely you don't have it unless you've been putting it aside. If something catastrophic happens and you have not been saving, more than likely you're going to go into debt. So then you're going to be trying to save and trying to pay off your debt, and you got the system already working against you, Okay? So this is how we do it. Every single week we put something aside. You know, so, you know, how do we start? You say, no, man, I can't start with a lot. Can you start with 10 bucks? Man, I hope so. Put $10 aside a week. At the end of a month, you'll have about 50 bucks. Well, that's 50 more dollars than I had, okay? So then you're like, well, 50 bucks, that's not really that much. So then you start doing the math. Say $50 every month, and now you're looking at you have $600 a year, 
oh, I got $600 a year sitting, sitting in a savings account that I've never had? Man, that's pretty good, you know, and then do that for 10 years. Now you got 6000 in savings if you don't touch it, but that's only $10 a week. So little increments add up over time, but we think that sometimes those small amounts are so insignificant, it's not worth it. You say that till you have to go into debt because you can't pay for something. So we got to be very intentional, guys, of just setting something aside. If, if a certain week you can put a $100 bill in savings, put it into savings. You understand, none of this has anything to do with what I'm talking about bringing the tithe to church. This is your own personal finance. This is to allow you to be successful, you to eliminate debt, you to be able to get out of debt. Okay? So we got to save. If we don't save, we'll go into debt. Okay? So saving is something that has to fall very, very close after our tithe and after we give. So we give, we save, and then we spend. So let's look at our spending habits just for a moment. So, so do you know where all of your money goes each month? You know, some of you guys this morning, you know, some of you might have no clue. You say, I don't have a clue where in the world all my money goes uh, or where it's being spent. You know, so if you want to figure out where your finances go, take one full month and itemize everything you spend. You mean everything? Absolutely everything. I'm talking from your $1.50, $1.75 soda, your coffee that's five bucks, whatever it is that you are spending, itemize every single one of those things, and then at the end of the month, look at that. That will more than likely reflect everything that you're spending on a regular basis. Don't factor in catastrophic things or things that don't happen month to month, like, hey, I had to... I had to put a new tire on one of my cars, it blew out or whatever, right? You know, don't do that, but just your normal baseline spending. Now, some of you know where you spend your money and you don't want to itemize it. You're like, I don't want nobody to know where I spend all that money. I don't want my wife to know how many coffees I drink a week or how much it costs to go golfing or whatever, whatever it may be, right? Whatever habits we have. But how intentional do we want to be and how, you know, guys, but I'm telling you, if you guys begin to implement these systems and these things to keep you out of debt, to accrue uh, savings and to where you live this blessed life, man, y'all can do all that stuff that you've been wanting to do. You can go golfing whenever you want. You can get coffee whenever you want, but you got to make sure that you take care of yourself first. And those spending habits will sometimes make or break uh, what we have at the end. We have to understand that having money is not always the answer to financial issues. Sometimes we get get caught in the trap of chasing after the love of money. 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. That's a pretty big one. You hear that? Eager for money have wandered from the faith. What the heck does that look like? Like I was so, was I, did it mean I worked a lot and I didn't go to church? Does it mean that I didn't see my finances blessed in a way where I got mad at God? What does that look like? Wandering from the faith. Scripture says it happens though, right? It says, it says some people eager for money have wandered from the, pay, from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Does it say that God pierced them or they pierced themselves? So these are personal life choices that you guys have put upon yourself. You know, I, I, you know, I talk about purchasing things or buying things, and then we get mad that we can't pay for them. And we, what I go down to, I ask God, say, God, did, you know, what's the first thing when we can't afford something or we can't pay for something? Man, God, why are you not providing for that? 
Man, if God would have let me buy that expensive house, guys, I think he would have just rubbed my face and said, did I ever tell you to buy that house? For how long, I don't know. I thank God that I did not buy that house. Because I, f- I could just see God like, did I tell you to buy that? <laughs> yeah, like I was like, oh, I pierced myself with my own grief. Because I didn't consult God in my financial decisions. That's what it comes down to, guys. So I'm not saying don't buy great things, don't buy new things, don't buy nice things, but ask God first. Man, I always see, you know, uh, got a buddy of mine who has some sickness in his body. Like it's a bad deal. You know, and I've been looking at purchasing a new truck and, and I just say, God, should I even buy that truck? It's a stupid worldly thing or should I help my buddy? I fight with things like that because I don't want ever, ever to be tied to physical things. I have a truck that, that runs. And, and for me, it's something that I feel like, you know, at this point, have I earned it? Have I kept my old truck long enough to justify getting a new one? Absolutely. Does God want me to have a nice vehicle? Absolutely. But then I'm caught with real life things and I have the ability to give. And unless I ask God and God directs my finances, I don't know which decision to make, guys. But I don't want to make the wrong one. But I believe there's provision to do both. But that's the things I struggle with, guys. It's not like, should I just wreck, you know, like these are these things where I say I consult God in all of my finances. God, have you provided increase in the house? Why have you provided these increase? Not for my own benefit, but what can I give? Where can I bless? Where can I plant seed? It's always bigger than me, guys. So in my spending habits, I don't want to, the first thing when I get a paycheck, I don't say, hey, let's go do what I want. But I pause and say, Lord, is there anything that you want me to do this month that's significant? And I yield everything I have to God. If he told me to give it all, I'd give it all, guys. It's not a, well, yeah, you know, I'm going to be obedient to God. But God sees the beginning from the end. And God knows what's best. We hear that principle, and I think when we grow up, you know, what? that's one of the biggest things that we want, the system we want to buck, right, is our parents. What does mom and dad always say? Mom knows best. Dad knows best. So when we get old and we're are older and we're mature, we want to be very independent. I want to make it on my own. I want to make it by my own strength or ability rather than the grace of God. But I believe that God still wants to be just like that parent in our life saying, hey, let me help you with this. Let me show you what's best. And I think he can prevent a lot of us from making horrific mistakes financially, guys. Sorry I went there, guys. I just really feel like God is really wanting to radically shake some of your finances in a way that you give like you've never given. Not for the church's benefit, but for your own benefit and for the kingdom's sake. You know, God financially blesses people to be excessive givers, not to be excessive livers (laughs) and just do whatever you want. That was never the point of your millionaires, guys. That was never the point of your CEOs of these big businesses. God has put, man, there is so much that those individuals could do with with the resources that God has given them. But do they see them as God-given or man-given? Well, I worked for it, I earned it, so therefore, that's what we're fighting against. One other thing, focusing on our spending habits 
So as couples, you have to be unified in your spending habits and handling your finances. You know, I've heard a lot of couples do this whole splitting it up thing. Hey, this is my check. This is your check. You do what you want with yours. I'll do what I want with mine. And guys, I am not an advocate of, of individual accounts. If you're married, be married in your finances too. Put everything together all in one lump sum. It'll protect you from any accusations of saying, hey, well, what are you doing with all that money or where have you been spending? Christmas time, we just got to not look at the accounts because I think that's the only time it matters. Don't look how much I spent. Don't look what I'm buying. It's Christmas time, but that's different. But we treat our finances, when we separate our finances, that's what we're doing. Don't, I don't want you to know what I'm spending, what I'm buying. When we mesh those things together, it removes any opportunity for the enemy to use that against us, and it causes transparency. Man, if I got reckless spending habits and my wife is not on my joint account, she may never know that I spend money like that on whatever I'm spending it on. Or vice versa. You know, maybe your spouse is spending all kinds of money you don't know about. But if it's all in one account, everybody sees where that money goes. And sometimes it's humbling, right? But I believe that as a, as a married couple, you've got to be on the same page. You have to have your money together, working together as a team. You know, so my opinion, I strongly encourage marriage couples, keep your money in the same account. Focus on being transparent and together on your uh, financial spending habits. Um, if you're going to be successful in finances as a couple, uh, you got to have the same finance goals. Don't be going in two, two different directions. You know, if you're trying to save for emergency savings account or you're trying to save money for emergency fund and, and you're in your, let me just switch it. If my wife is trying to spend, you know, save and I'm spending money reckless on all this stuff, you think that's going in the same direction? Or any extra we get, we establish that savings account. And once we meet that goal, then we go on to new goals as a couple. You got to be on the same page. You know, uh, let me jump back just a little bit. So even with the tithe, man, I am, I encourage you guys, if you attend this church and, and uh, and you are a couple that you guys fight to be unified on giving of your tithe and your offerings. If you're not at that place, you say, well, my wife wants to do it, but I don't really want to do that. I'd ask you to seek God's face and, and, and to strive to be unified in a heart to give as a couple. Because that honors God. And it's really hard when you're doing something that your heart isn't for. You know, it almost causes you to, you know, to, to give in a non-cheerful way. I told you guys the, the story of my wife. You know, she'll approach me and says, I think we need to give to this. Where the heck was my vote in that? Are you going to like ask me or we're just going to do it? Rather than saying, hey, honey, I was praying and I think we should maybe give to this. Well, let's pray about it. Let's ask God if that's what we should do. And then, then in unison, we say, absolutely, let's do that. God's blessed us to be a blessing. Let's give that. But you can see how it works opposite when it's like, I see it as my wife is giving away all my money. My wife is spending all my money, right? Or vice versa. So be connected, be, be unified in that. Um, <clears throat> you gotta be on the same goals. My wife and I had to work through this uh, to get debt free. It wasn't an easy goal. It wasn't an easy task. Um, I'm gonna share this real quick because I feel like what we did for... It was three different times that we did it. How many of you guys know when you get your income tax, it is one of the most exciting things ever? And if you got kid credits, 
Woo, man, it's even better. You know, they, they, that's, the, that's the one time a year you're like, Lord, I thank you for these kids you bless them with. Because, you, you know, the more the merrier, man. You know, it's, it's that one moment that you're like, man, you're a blessing to me, son. <laughs> I'm just playing. They're a blessing all the time. But financially, I see it come back. But how many of us know when, as soon as we get that income tax back, our minds are already cruising with how we're going to spend it? So let me tell you real quick, and I, and I don't want you to guys to hear this arrogantly, but I want you to be challenged by it. My wife and I were unified in our financial goals. So this was three different income taxes that we did. So the first one, we were just married. We had, you know, hadn't bought a house yet, but we had school debt. So our first income tax that we took, we were paying on it, we were paying on it, we were paying on it. Our first income tax that we took, we took all of that income tax and we put it towards our school debt. How many of you know how fun that was? <laughs> but we had a consistent goal to what? Get completely out of debt. We had the same spending habits. Shortly thereafter, because of that, we were able to pay it off. So we eliminated school debt. As time progressed, uh, we were really super important, wanted an emergency fund. What I was talking to you guys, man, providing for a rainy day, setting aside enough money where if something happened, I wouldn't stress out, I wouldn't be stressed out, and you know, just what happens if something happens, right? So the next time, I don't know if it was the next year or we skipped a year. We probably skipped a year because it'd be super stressful to spend all of our income tax on one, but I feel like it was really close together. But that next time around, we took all of our income tax and we catapulted our emergency savings fund and established it. And then we figured out a dollar amount that we were comfortable with and we kept giving to that until we hit that mark. So that was income tax number two. How fun do you think that was? And you're like, all of these things are so boring, they're not fun, but they will save your life, I promise. It will help you. It will relieve stress from your life when that emergency savings account is established. One more thing about emergency savings. Determine what is an emergency. Well, it's bird season. I need a new shotgun. That one sure is nice, but it's expensive. Well, we got this emergency savings over here, honey. That is not an emergency. So establish the baselines of what that emergency savings looks like and stick to your guns. Don't touch it, okay? Third time around, if twice spending our income tax wasn't enough, like I said, our home, we were working real, real hard to pay off our home. We were putting extra money down every month. And when we got to the, towards the bottom of it, we said, man, we might could pay this off in the next year if we really, really hustle. And you're like, well, I mean, we're pouring money into it, trying to pay it off. Round three, if two rounds wasn't enough, our income tax comes in. We put all of that towards our home, and that year we paid it off. Debt-free, guys. You know, so is it achievable? Yes. Will you cry along the way? Yes. It's just like, fed all this money. Like we, and then when you spend it, it's gone, baby. You can't, you can't say, hey, can I have a little bit of that back? It's gone. But, you know, we just make sure you're on the same, you know, have the same goals and you're unified because if both of you are unified, then you just do it. There's no questions asked. So, guys, sit down together, work out a budget, agree to look at your uh, expenses every single month. Remember that when you make a budget, you guys realize you make the rules to a budget. If you establish a hardcore budget and just throwing numbers out there, let's say you agree on $100 a month on going out to eat. Because that's either all you can afford or all you want to spend. Well, when you run out of that $100, 
grilled cheese, bologna sandwich, ham and cheese. I don't know what happens at that point. But if you, whatever baseline you set, you got to stay within those confines of what you establish. If it's too restrictive, change that number, guys. You are in control of that budget. But those that have a budget thrive. Those that don't, they don't know where they're spending their money, and it seems like they never have enough. Um, once that budget is established and agreed upon, make sure you stick to the plan. That's one of the most successful things you'll ever do, you know, some consistency. If you decide on saving a certain amount per month or per week or you decide to establish a, uh, a budget, stick to the plan. If you work the plan long enough, the plan almost always works for your benefit. Almost always. Um, you know, so that's just something, guys. Hopefully that's some, some things that really, really help you. Um, I'm just going to paraphrase this real quick because running kind of long. Matthew 25, 14 through 30, it talks about the, the parable of the, of, the, uh, of the talents. What says that uh, a manager of a home came and he gave, he gave three individuals, according to their ability, a, a sum of money to manage the home until he got back. Okay, some of you guys may have heard the story, some of you may have not. But to the one that he got gave five talents, talents was a sum of money. It was a lot of money. When you talk about a talent, he gave, I think, was it five, five, and one? What, five, three, and one? Checks and balances? There you go, five, three, and one. Um, each according to their ability. That's the thing you have to understand, to their ability, so it wasn't fair that God gave one, it wasn't unfair that God gave one five, God gave one three, and God gave one one. Each according to their ability, he gave it to them, okay? So they got it, he went away for a while, and he said, hey, use it, work it. When I come back, everybody had to know he was gonna come back. It wasn't gonna be something that he was just gonna leave me with these, and you know, so there was a test of stewardship. So it says that the one that gained five, gained five more, the one that had three increased. The one that had one, he says, I was worried that you were a hard person, so I took what you have, I just buried it. It didn't grow at all, it didn't increase at all. In God's eyes, that is bad stewardship. Everything that he gives us, he wants, us, he wants it to increase, he wants us to work it, he wants it to grow, he wants it to thrive, guys. But he says to that, that one that got that one talent, he says, I am now going to take from you and give it to the one that I gave five to, and you away from me, you horrible servant, unjust servant. Think about that. You know, it's like, well, maybe he was just a bad manager, and he gave him one, and isn't God okay with that, even if we're not really, really good with what he gives us? According to that parable, not so much. He wants us to increase whatever we have. He wants us to sow whatever we have that we might reap more than we've ever had. We guys got to understand these kingdom principles. What God gives you according to your ability, he wants you to manage and to manage it well. So I'm going to share these six things to break free in your finances, and then we're going to get out of here. Um, man, some of you guys, do y'all remember this slide? I've preached some of this this year. I looked over each of these and I was striving to change it, but I couldn't change any of them because I think that they were all still really, really on point. Okay, so what's the first thing? Follow the principle of give, save, and spend. If you're spending first, guys, you're always gonna fall short. And I'm not pointing fingers, but just realize this. If you're not giving first, if you're not saving and, and then spending, if you're not meeting that model, more than likely your finances are going to be out of line, out of order. Next thing, make a budget if you never have. 
Dave Ramsey has some awesome resources, financial freedom, and, and Becky and I are actually praying and thinking about doing a class on it because I think it'd be super helpful. But if some of you are like, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how to start a budget. Type in Dave Ramsey. Type in uh, building a budget, and there'll be so many details that come up. You will just be without excuse not to form a budget at that point. So be, become united in your financial goals. So remember, same goals, same account, same discipline. Okay, get on the same page. That's, that's the principle there that we want to make sure we're doing. This is, this is the biggest, if I could give you any closing advice, don't spend more than you make. Now, some of you might be like, well, that sounds dumb. Why would you even tell me that? Because some of us and a lot of us are spending more than we make. If you are spending more than you make, you will inevitably go into debt. And it can get really, really nasty if you're not careful, if you continually spend more than you make. And lastly, submit all of your finances to God. So what I'm asking you guys to do is give God the 100%, not just the 10%. I know I did that for a long time. It was like, God, I give you my 10%. I'm gonna do what the heck I want with my 90. I worked hard for that money anyway, Lord. Here's yours, here's mine. We weren't unified. So give God 100% of your finances. Say, Lord, show me what in the world to do with all these. God, I got the tithe. Check that off. Man, how do I, become, how do I save now, Lord? Show me how to save I don't even think I can save. There's not even enough money in the bank anyway. You talk about saving. Lord, show me what to do. You know, he may provide increase in other ways. He may allow you to get a little bit of extra income. God is going to provide a way if you allow him into your finances. Promise. So submit all your finances to God. Ask God uh, for wisdom in your spending. And then lastly, sorry, I didn't see that on the last page. Work hard and stay disciplined. Proverbs 24, 33 to 34 says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like a armed man. What is this saying? Do your part and let God do his part. Don't be lazy. Work hard. Be disciplined. Get an education. Apply for the promotions. Come on, man. Like you're like, well, I don't know if I could do that job. <laughs> I've seen many people do jobs that I don't know how the heck they do. I don't even think they do the job, but they have the position. I'm not saying anybody specific, but I'm just kind of like, if that guy can get the job, I can get the job. So apply for it, guys. Try something new. Ask God how to provide for more income if you need to. Ask God how to manage your finances. Being successful in this life is not as hard as you think if the Lord is on your side. But if the Lord is against you, Pity the fool that tries it that way. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.